0: Hi, this is Fayette Hauser, and you're listening to the Pantheon Podcast Network.
1: Pantheon Podcast presents from Hollywood, California the Devil's Music with Pleasant Gaming. You are invited to join the Hollywood Princess as she explores her lifelong pursuits in the occult, sex, love, and that sinful rock and roll. Ladies and gentlemen, step into the dark parlor of Pleasant Gaiman as she brings you The Devil's
2: Music. Hi, this is Pleasant Gaiman. Welcome to The Devil's Music a Pantheon podcast where rock and roll meets the occult. For those of you that don't know me, I do a lot of stuff. I'm a dancer, actor, tarot reader, and a best-selling author with eight books out. I got one on the way, too. Look for my new memoir, Rock and Roll Witch, on Punk Hostage Press. You might have seen me acting or dancing in music videos, feature films, and documentaries. In fact, look for me in the new GoGo stock. To find out more about me or to book a tarot reading, please go to com or check out my Instagram, Princess of Hollywood. All one word, baby. I post there a lot. I'm really happy to be part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Everyone at Pantheon tells stories about the music we love so much. There's like 50 podcasts. Find them all on Pantheon, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio.com, Pandora, anywhere you get your favorite podcast fix. Head on over to PantheonPodcast.com and share a show with a friend, or I'll put a spell on you, baby. Baby. Thank mm-hmm. you.
0: this is Pleasant Gaiman and you're listening to The Devil's Music Podcast. Today, my guest is an early punk pioneer an absolute punk rock legend. She's a musician, author, blogger, educator, activist, a punk historian and archivist. What else can I say about her except that I've loved this woman for almost 50 years Please welcome the incredible Alice Bag. Hi, doll. How are you Hi, doing? Class. Good. I'm so happy to be here with you. Me too. Hashtag me too. Oh my <laughs> God. We've got so much to talk about today. I don't know how we're even gonna get to all of it. Um, <laughs> but um First of all, I just want to ask: Do you remember when we met? I don't even remember that. This is so weird because I just feel like yeah. I knew. You.
3: Yeah, I know. It feels like you've always been in my life.
0: <laughs> yeah, like I don't know. I mean, I don't. Th- I think it was. It was probably in seventy, in late seventy-six or early seventy-seven. But I just, uh, I just remember you around all the time. Like, and it's so, it's so weird because, you know, you 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 are such a big personality and amazing to look at and so so fun that like it just feels like I always know you but it it's just like I can't it's so weird not being able to remember the exact moment
3: yeah I know I mean I kind of I I kind of know why I don't remember a lot of stuff
4: too. <laughs> 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 I feel like
3: we went like from glam into punk, just kind of partying the whole way there and, you know, it's, I don't even remember when I met people, except there's a few a few things that stand out in my mind. I do remember like going to a party and meeting, uh, and, and it was a big like fancy house and I knew I wasn't supposed to be there because I wasn't invited, but I met um, Trudy and Helen there, <laughs> they were like, you know, just like making themselves at home. So I felt like, okay, I feel like I I feel like these people are welcoming, and uh, they're weirdos like me. I feel at home.
0: Oh yeah, crashing parties was always a thing. I learned how to I learned how to crash parties, and make a French exit, and screen calls from Tomato and Gear from the screamers. Like they, they were, they were like finishing school for like how to be like um an insane low rent, crazy socialite, you know. Like, how, to...
3: <laughs> yeah. I still do, do you remember, um, crashing that? Like, I think it was Vincent Manali's party
0: where, where, where was or what, what it was, up, the, in, like, it was, was up in
3: the, the hills. And like, uh, I, we were, I think we were outside of the whiskey, and somebody said, There's this. Big party happening up in the Hollywood Hills. Oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Oh
0: I went, I went, I went through the medicine chest at that party and made long distance calls. I think that was my first foray yes. doing that shit. <laughs> and we just like I, I mean, people like there was
3: like a butler or a server or somebody who answered the door, and we just like, oh, you know, we're from Rentapunk, and we're here to entertain at the party to make your party more lively. I don't know if anybody bought that, but I just remember we hit the buffet table hard. And meanwhile you were hitting the medicine cabinet.
0: I know. That was that was always my first that was always my first um my first stop. Were you at that crazy party um at the Hollywood Tower where it was all these other rich people in the giant penthouse and all the lights were out in the party? You could barely see. And they were showing like um they were showing like these giant like silent movies of like huge like boa constrictors um in Indonesia or somewhere in the jungle from from like the 20s it was silent films and and there was like um one of the snakes was like eating an entire gazelle or antelope or something and that was on the wall and like I was like tripping on acid and it was super crowded and super smoky in there because everyone smoked and I remember like pushing my way through the crowd to um to try to find the bathroom and i opened what i thought was the bathroom you know <laughs> and the door, the door came open so i wasn't sure it was a bathroom because that was when everyone would lock themselves in the bathroom and do coke if they lived in a penthouse so i opened this door it was totally black you, you know like a, a like i opened it like a, a little crack and it was totally black and then all of a sudden i saw this flash of white and this giant boa constrictor like a real fucking snake oh my god jumped it 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 rose up and jumped out of like this white burlap sack and like tried to strike at me and i was tripping (laughs) oh
3: my god what did you do i'd be
0: screaming i screamed at the top of my lungs but i mean in space no one can hear you scream and at hollywood parties in the 70s no one can hear you scream damn (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that was, I mean, that, that was nuts. Um, anyway, yeah, so there was like all sorts of, what about the, let's talk about the parties at the Screamers house. Um, okay, so first I'll set the scene. The Screamers lived in what was called the Wilton Hilton. And for anybody listening to the podcast that does not know who the Screamers were, they were like the most famous and most loved LA punk band that was barely recorded, like just recently Um, an album of their early demos came out, you know, but like they they just never, they made recordings, but they were never released. So they were kind of like a secret inside LA treat, but everyone in in Los Angeles, like, thought that they were like the best and wildest and weirdest.
3: It's Um, shocking to me that people, you know, think they know LA punk and don't know of the screamers. I I mean, I just feel like the screamers are so like, how how did people, not record them and document them and I, I it's just baffling but I don't have any like great memories of being
4: at uh oh
3: you don't a, remember a, their party no well, you I weren't don't at,
0: you went at that party with the Ramones uh for the Ramones and Blondie that was that was like right after an incident. um we can talk about <laughs> the the Ramones and Blondie were in residence at the whiskey for like a full week, and um toma knew them tomato and Fayette knew them all from um, from New York because the Ramones had played their first gig opening up for toma and Fayette's like um, crazy cabaret troupe at CbGB's anyway so um well it seemed like every every day or every week um, during punk rock, and at one, one of my boyfriends once said that I say in punk rock like the way that somebody else would say during the Paleolithic era or, <laughs> or during the Bronze Age. But, um, but in punk rock, there was there was always so much stuff to do and so many places to go. So um, the screamers party that um, you weren't at was like, I think, a night or two after when um, X and I don't remember who was opening for them. Um, played at Larchmont Hall, which was like a wedding hall on Larchmont, um, which is now a really like sheeshy hipsterish, like um, woke kind of like bougie neighborhood for years and years. But in those days there was like you know decaying houses there and stuff. So um, there was a show at at um, Larchmont Hall and um, of course everybody from the punk scene was there and it got famously busted by the cops. And um, somehow me and you wound up in the in the ladies' room. This is how we already we already knew each other, even though we didn't remember how. But um, I I remember I had like a like I had a half pint, a new half pint of Southern Comfort, which was like an extravagance in those days, you know. Uh, especially since none of us were like old enough to buy booze, and me and how you would were- we do it. <laughs> <laughs> we were we were lounging on the fainting couch which was in the 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 ladies room at that place you know which had been built in like the teens or the 20s and um so the ladies room was bigger than like most of the apartments at the canterbury arms (laughs) and then somehow we started making out when we were really drunk i i was on claywood i don't know if you were you probably were
3: i don't know what i was on
0: (laughs) okay but do you remember what happened next with your boyfriend
3: <laughs> oh shit, no, I don't. Tell me, I can imagine. Did he come in?
0: Yes. Okay, oh. so Alice was dating Nikki oh. from The Weirdo. Oh God. What did he do? Did he join in? No, like any, <laughs> any normal person probably would have joined in. <laughs> he got really mad and he started screaming at me. <laughs> and then he was like ordering you How to get he up. Scream at you. What? Why do he scream at you? But I think I I think he thought that like I was the one that instigated it.
3: You probably were pleasant. Oh,
0: I thought it was you. I I
3: I'm sure it was me.
0: You evil painted punk rock temptress.
3: (laughs) Oh my God. So he started screaming at you. That's so
0: rude. Well, I mean it wasn't it it wasn't rude back in the day. It seemed normal.
3: Well, you know what? It's not like Nicky B didn't go around cheating on me every chance he got, so <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sorry.
0: I mean, yeah, in those days I think cheating or like sex parties or stuff like that was like um a lot different than than it was in normal society or than what it turned into after AIDS or C or nowadays.
3: <laughs> I think it was part of like the process of like just following our desires and um I don't know working working out our whatever we wanted to do and what how figure out how we wanted to be and how we wanted to live. It was a lot freer that that's for sure.
0: <laughs> oh my god, I know. I mean, there's so many people that like that. You know, I wound up having like out sessions with or sex or anything. I mean, everybody, everybody was doing it. I mean, like you know, like in all the um. You know, in all the articles you read, where it says like Darby was was queer or whatever, mm-hmm. we were all, we were all fucking queer. I mean, like I know. I think was... we were
3: all fucking everybody. It's like I, I mean, like there's like good, good parts of that, and there are also really gross parts of that. Like I remember, like people at the Canterbury all getting the same venereal disease. <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> definitely grab- I'm
3: trying to figure out, like, where did you get that? Oh, yeah, you know, and then you kind of have to well, draw a little map and figure out which how- person
0: started it. Because after a while, it just all goes like into one big like petri dish. It's hard to tell. Yeah. Like-
3: yeah. So yeah, it was really free. I thought it was like it was perfect for uh, where I was in my life, and it felt like it was part of the idea of just not living a conventional life and not being um constrained in how we wanted to express not only like our creativity but our sexuality so it felt like it was it was a perfect match for punk i
0: I think exactly too especially since glitter rock was so was so sexual and um i mean you, you you can hear you know bands like the suite or something doing ac dc and think it's a pop song but then you know it's i mean the whole lyrics are about bisexuality and so anyone that came to punk out of the glitter scene was already doing that you know like just having all sorts of sexual experimentation and i think it's so weird because like later on in punk like when it become when it became taken over by um you know, all sorts of jocks and like, you know, all the people that used to throw like shit out of cars. At you us know? in
3: high school.
0: Yeah, <laughs> like, all
3: the kids that would make fun of us and all of a sudden are like, oh yeah, we're punk now.
0: Yeah, but they seemed a lot of like, a lot of them seemed either very like asexual or kind of rapey. You know what I mean? And the original scene in LA Punk wasn't like that.
3: No. In the original scene, everybody was like, yeah. Let's do it. Let's, I mean, it just, it felt very definitely consensual, but experimental and not judgy at all. Like I feel like a lot of times people ask me about like, you know, were they queers, you know, were there people like, you know, expressing their queerness and I was like, well, people just expressed, like everything. they didn't come out. Yeah. They express everything. Nobody was coming out and saying like, you know, that person is, you know, like in, like in a judgy way, they're this or they're that. It was just like, they're punk. So that label is very inclusive of like whatever sexual expression you have, whatever um, ethnicity, income level, education. It just felt like, you know, you didn't have to, you didn't have to fit the the format. Yeah. I mean, it was just, and it
0: was also like, there was, there was no like divide between the younger people and the older people. Like I remember, um, you know, there were there was people that were coming in from like um from from um like like hate Ashbury or like the Warhol scene in the in in New York, you know, that were way they were really quote unquote old. I mean, they might have been in like their early thirties or something, but to us that was like, that was like you know most of our lives you know they were already active doing stuff like that you know but no nobody nobody cared about like the de- delineations that are um you know I think I, I
3: I think there were moments like I was funny because I was just talking to a friend of mine and saying I remember seeing Blondie at the whiskey and watching Debbie Harry and thinking like oh she's so old i think she might have been like 24 or something but we were like 17 or 18. So it felt like, oh my God, she's you know. No, you she, know what like she, it, it seemed what? old at the time.
0: She went she was 37. She she oh, got she, she was? Yeah. I when I when I went to interview her for lobotomy, um, you know, and to, to take blondie around and do stuff for when I went to interview her for my fanzine, I was so fucking hungover when I showed up at two in the afternoon at the Tropicana and they knocked on the door. And I'd been playing like, you know, the the first Blondie record, like nonstop for like weeks or or maybe a couple of months at that point. And um, when I knocked on the door, she opened the door. She had no makeup on. It was like glaring LA sunlight. And my jaw dropped because I thought she was like the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen. Her face was just completely like you know, like the, the bone structure, the eye sockets, the jawline, the shape of her mouth. I mean, she was so incredibly gorgeous. I was just like, oh. I couldn't, I just <laughs> believe it, you know, but yeah, but she was, she, she was How? older than, than we thought, but like, you know, there was people that weren't even that much older that like, now I think, um, now I I look at their pictures and I think that they, they look like complete babies. I've said this before. I mean, they look like like chubby, cute little toddlers. But at the time, I thought they were like old men. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> or, or like, because they were like 24 and a half or something, you know, and I was, I was like seven, 17 or 16 or something.
3: Yeah, that felt old to us probably. But I mean, I, that doesn't mean we didn't like hang out with them. And like, I, I think it was just kind of a weird like realization that you like that, that. Blondie had been doing music for a long time before they got famous. Like I think for us who were just starting bands, it just seemed like, oh wow, all of a sudden we're playing places and like there's a bunch of people coming to see us. It's such an exciting thing. And then we you assume that a band like like Blondie just, you know, happened last year or something. But then I don't think I think I just didn't realize that. Debbie Harry had been doing music for a long time
4: before yeah, yeah.
3: she actually, and before the band actually got as popular as they were. I, they, weren't I, at the, they weren't at the same level as like the Bags and the Germs and you know the any of our, any of the bands that were our contemporaries.
0: Yeah, let's take a little musical break to listen to, to "Ripper to Shreds" by Blondie. Blondie playing Ripper to Shreds. And this is Alice Bag talking about the, <laughs> not talking, talking about trash. these days. Yeah, we're, we're trashing everybody now. No, okay, so before we <laughs> before we continue spilling like everyone's psychotic punk sex secrets. No, um <laughs> let's um you you came from East LA yeah. and uh, like wait. I think I read this somewhere because I didn't know it about you at the time. Were you really like an, an, an aerobics instructor?
3: <laughs> it was, I was actually an aerobics instructor while I lived at the Canterbury. Oh my God, I used to work at Jack Lane's and um, I had to wear this like little orange smock that covered up like my full black leotard that I wore underneath. Uh, I remember, I have to say like, Really Wait, crazy I think story. Did you wear that
0: smock to gigs? I think I remember something like. That. I don't Did
3: know. You? No, I don't think I wore that. I didn't like. You might have seen me in that smock because I walked into the Canterbury that way.
0: <laughs> like, oh yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: But um, but I remember one time like going um, like Nikki wanted to borrow my car. I had this old Ford Falcon that I would you know drive myself to work in, and he's like, "I'm going to drop you off at work." I had like a twelve hour shift because it was um. Uh, It it was weird in those days. You had 12 hour shifts at Jack LaLanne's and he dropped me off and then um, he forgot to come back and pick me up. So I just had to walk all the way home from Miracle Mile. And apparently he had he had gone out um, shopping. He had taken KK to buy um, food for his snake. So he didn't tell me the next day i i used the car and he didn't tell me that one of the mice or the food for the snake had gotten out in the car (laughs) so uh, i'm driving on the way to like a recording and i have a bunch of people in the car and all of a sudden a snake i mean a snake uh, (laughs) a mouse is crawling around in the car and people are screaming and i'm like having to pull over and it was just insane anyway i i don't know how i got that whole conversation is just totally derailed
0: forgive me for going off on a big tangent no that's a good tangent i mean that that's not the kind of stuff that happens to you every day um so okay but so speaking of east la um let's talk about the vex because i don't think a lot of people really might know about it. The Vex was like an all um or it was it was in East LA and it was run by what we called at the time like the the Latino or and Latina punks, even though not now it would probably be called like Latinx or something. But um that yeah, was Yeah I uh,
3: think at the at the time that the Vex was happening, that was like closer to 79 and 80. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So that was not something that I was like, you know, a lot of times people um, that I feel like that was a different scene, almost, you know, like no, it,
0: it was, but it was, I mean, that wasn't the very, very early part. I'm just skipping around from because I asked you about East LA and stuff. But I remember before, at least I went there, we were hearing about it so much, which was something that would happen all the time in those days, you would just hear about something at a party or at a club or like on a landline phone conversation and um then there was like kind of a little gap between like i think they got closed down for a minute or something happened so um you know there was a uh, like a gap before they had another show. And then I remember a whole bunch of us and I don't remember who I actually went with, but like all of a sudden there was a big migration over there to go to the VEX. And wasn't it like in this giant attic or it was like the second story of some- Yeah,
3: it was a really, well, the, the experience that I had at the VEX and I don't know if that was the first VEX or if it was, I'm not sure because I think During it was that was the, the first one. Yeah. 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 That had, like all those tiles on the outside. It was really beautiful. It had like, um, I think it was, I think it was Azulejo on the outside. It was really like beautiful tile. Uh, and the whole building was tiled, which is very unusual.
0: Yeah. It was and, like an um, old, old building. Like I don't know if it was a restaurant or, or what it was. I just remember it was like it was a, a printing place. It, oh, was, it was like, like
3: they, they did like fine art printing. Um, And it was run by this nun uh, who, like, would reach out, did community outreach. And I think- It was run
0: by a nun, the printing place, and somehow a punk club wound up there? Yes.
3: And I I, I have, I mean, I I feel like I don't want to, like, this this is my secondhand knowledge because I wasn't involved in that. I'm not, like, a pioneer at the VEX or anything. But my knowledge of the VEX is that um, people from the illegals and perhaps some of the other bands that were um playing at the time were like looking for a venue the, the undertakers rat. i don't know if they if they were the ones that initiated i know that usually like the person that says that they talked to the sister about having shows there is um one of the members of los illegals okay. and said hey let us allow us to have shows here and they started having uh, punk shows there and i think i you know i don't know all the details about how the none dealt with it but she must have been like open-minded and thought like these young kids are expressing themselves and so she, so that's where it grew out of is this really cool nun who um and I, please forgive me if i'm leaving out key players as i said i was like on hiatus hiatus from punk rock when that was happening i was really like thinking I'm going to take a break from this and go back to school. It was like right around the time that Darby had died and yeah. that like, you know, my, a bunch of my friends were um, hooked on heroin and like, Oh yeah, it was just Like
0: everyone, right. we were like the only two people that weren't maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and and I felt
3: like you have to get away from this or I'm going to like, you know, either die in this or like watch all my friends die with and feeling like you can't do anything about it. So um, I was in a really dark place during the time that this stuff was happening at the VEX. Um, so I know of it only through secondhand information. Um, I did play there with Castration Squad uh, as a temporary fill-in bassist. And I, you know, I have like really nice memories of it. It was a cool place. Uh, But I don't, I didn't feel like I was part of part of the scene in the same way that I was part of the L.A. scene, because I feel like the L.A. punk scene, we just or the Hollywood punk scene, we lived it. I mean, we were there pretty much at every show going to parties or multiple, you know, multiple events every night. And it was just different when I was when I was living back in East L.A. with my parents and going back to school, I was trying desperately to hang on to my sanity and not go out as much and do my homework.
0: <laughs> no, that so it was get that, yeah. <clears throat> so, um, castration squad, let's talk about that for a second, because a lot of people don't really know a lot about them. I mean, first of all, the name. <laughs> second of all, the fact that all the women who were in it were fucking gorgeous i mean like what a, it was like a it was like a double triple quadruple threat to anybody you know but, oh
3: you're being very nice thank you pleasant
0: no seriously um, like, like shannon wilhelm looked like, like rip she looked yeah. like, she looked like a um she looked like a like she could have been like a silent screen star she was so beautiful. Everyone in Castration Squad, I thought was just like ridiculously gorgeous, but so fierce and so threatening that, I mean, I'm just gonna say this and this is nothing against the women who came later, but like when, you know, when um, Bikini Kill and Bratmobile and all that came out, I liked what they were doing, but I was like, what is so revolutionary about this? When like, we were all doing doing stuff that was like, like, you know, eight times as transgressive and crazy and stuff it just hadn't come to the attention of like the mainstream media you know what i mean because of shit like castration squad i mean who would who would even write about that in, the, in that at that point in time a band called that you know
3: yeah i doubt that any of those women had ever heard of castration squad we were so like small potatoes but i mean i i i remember um coming home from work one day and um, at the, at the <laughs> Jackal <Jekyll> Lanes. And, <laughs> and, uh,
4: <laughs>
3: and I'm getting to ready
0: for a, for a <laughs> Castration Squad gig after I just caught a real no, disco all day.
3: <laughs> no, this was, this was earlier before I had moved out of, of um before I had joined Castration Squad. This is okay. just like when it was first an idea, a little twinkle in, um in shannon and patricia's eye because patricia um morrison at yeah. the time now vanian was yeah. uh she was mad at her boyfriend or something and shannon was also in a fight with i think she was dating um uh, bruce um uh, morland Moreland. yeah at the time i don't know they were both mad at their at their boyfriends and they like were also mad at somebody's ex-girlfriend and uh, they started working on this song called ex-girlfriend at that time and they said they were forming a band and it was going to be called castration squad and they asked me what i thought of the name and i was just like oh yeah that's a great name but i wasn't even like i wasn't considered for that band that was just like you know my bass player and my roommate's band and i was like excited to be um in the fan club right but Not really, not really thinking that I would end up playing bass, and then keyboards and castration squad. Um, But a few months later, when I was, I had moved out of the Canterbury. I was living at home with my mother, um, and going back, and I was back at school. Shannon called me up and said, "Like, you know, can you play? Can you sub with us?" And I told her, "I don't know how to play bass."
0: she said like oh
3: sure you do i remember hector zero like teaching you and i think hector zero had like taught me the names of this strings or something and taught me like a few a few little exercises but not like i really didn't know how to play bass but um but i did it <laughs> i went ahead and like played with them and i like also remember meeting the rest of the band and thinking like wow these women are really gorgeous like like you like just thinking like what what an honor to be, like, in this band of, like, I don't know. I just thought it was so cool because I um, always thought of myself as kind of odd-looking. And, uh, you know, it's the, it's, I'm the kind of person where people would say, like, oh, she has a good personality.
0: <laughs> oh, you're crazy. I always thought you looked like an Amazonian queen to me. I mean, you look, like, uh, you look like there'd be statues erected to you in some obscure, like, <laughs> island or... Island nation, or or like in the middle of the jungle, It <laughs> would be like a fifty foot tall like, like
3: Easter Island head. Is that what you're calling?
0: <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. that's that's what that's what we can get for our headstones. <laughs> so, all right, let's let's take a break for a minute right now. So we can find Castration Squad. wasn't there a song called "Date with Jack"? Yeah. Yeah, I think if 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 that can come on in the break, that's amazing. I'm going to surround it with white light, and we'll be back in a minute.
2: With Jack after he died.
0: we are back um, with Alice Bag, and we're, we're just we're on a, a stream of consciousness like mania about women in concrete right now <laughs> um, so okay so, so now that we've been talking about castration squad and um, beautiful women and wild wild lunatic women um, there was this gang or like a fake West Side Story gang, almost a real gang at the Canterbury called the Piranhas. That was an all all female gang, and there was like insane like um, graffiti about about it in the Canterbury. i oh. everywhere and all over the walls at the mask and stuff. And I was really offended that I wasn't a member of it. But um, yeah. I always wanted to... what
3: I can't believe you weren't a member of the Piranhas.
0: You, well, I think maybe you totally were. A... Because I went well, I was doing piranha-like activity, but um, you were <laughs> on my own. But was there was so who started like the rumors about all the lesbian orgies at the Canterbury with the piranhas, or was that real? No, I
3: think that was uh, Terry Graham. I'll, I'll tell you what happened. The story is that a bunch of us were at Margot Gogo's apartment in uh, in the Canterbury. And we were drinking, and we were sitting around just hanging out. It was like me, and Sheila. Remember Sheila? Yeah, yeah. Who was later in the streamers, um, and Shannon, and Margot, and Jane Weedland. and um, and I, I'm not sure what happened, but um, Sheila started talking about like being a vampire and how she could suck blood out like through people's pores, <laughs> and uh, and I'm like, that's bullshit, <laughs> you know. I'm I you can't do that. And she's like, "Yes I can." Like, you know, I'll prove it to you. Give me your wrist." And I'm like, "No, you can't do my wrist. You're do Jane's wrist just like, to get
0: the blood out." No.
3: <laughs> it was more I, it was meant to be like a prank and uh and I in my mind at least times like, you know, like you throw a pillow fight or something. It was like light teasing. But um but, yeah, like
0: sorority girl shit, trying, you know, like, when yeah, Delta, Delta Kappa, whatever tries to suck the blood out of. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Building up our reputation. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it was really,
3: it was, it was dumb. Our, our piranhas were just, or <laughs> just for fun, just troublemakers. We just, like, I remember Shannon and I, um, <laughs> later on taking terry into our apartment and like pretending like we were gonna have sex with him and handcuffing him to the bed and then going shopping
0: oh i did i did shit like that to people too at at my apartment 909 that i was living out with like dennis crosby and kid congo like i handcuffed the guy i had i had handcuffs holding my um dining room table together because it was a folding table and like the you know the little like places where it clipped in had like just uh, like worn out probably because I got it from the garbage. Uh, but I, um, so Dennis had picked up this guy that was like a busboy at some restaurant that happened to be wandering near our house. And he also didn't speak English. Um, but the guy came into the party we were having and there was like Steve Bader's there and like the dead boys and playing the whiskey. It was, it was an insane party. And me and my roommate, Ann McLean had been putting like half, half the guys we know, including smut from the Hats in drag with makeup and letting them wear our clothes. And there was a bunch of girls running around in like underwear and, you know, and so the minute that this poor guy that couldn't speak English, I think he thought he walked into a brothel and he started like doing stuff that you would never do to like, women unless it was in a brothel, but I mean, it really didn't look like a brothel, you know, like he, he would be like grabbing people's asses and stuff and finally I took the hand, I crawled under the table and took the handcuffs off the table legs. And I was like making a come hither motion to him, holding up the handcuffs. And I did the thing where you can slap the handcuffs around your wrist, but it doesn't click shut, you know, so it comes <laughs> open. And so I was like, oh, yeah. I brought him out onto the balcony um, of, of our apartment. And I did it. I just demonstrated the wrist thing again, and so I said, "Now you try it." And I and he held out his wrist, and I slapped it on his wrist until it locked. And then I just fucking like put the other handcuff around the balcony railing. And then I forgot until like noon the next day. Oh my god! Oh no! (laughs) Oh my! (laughs) Oh wow! Dennis Dennis Crosby was like, "Whatever happened to that cute guy I brought?" And I was like. Wait, what? Oh, and I went outside. I pulled the drapes and I opened the sliding door. And he was like laying on the floor of the of the of the balcony in fetal position, curled up with one arm attached to the railing. And so then it, then I had to go inside and find the handcuff key, which took a really fucking long time because I, you know, I don't know what what happened to it. I was like totally drunk, so that probably took at least half an hour. And then I came out with the handcuff key. And the minute I uncuffed him, he just. He just gave me this terrified look and bolted out of the apartment.
3: Oh, oh my God.
0: I'm well, sorry. I think, that's I think that's
3: worse than hickeys. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. And, you, uh, you, should, you belong in the
0: piranhas. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's why I was so sad. I wasn't vetted for it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Someone might have been dead if I was in the piranhas. <laughs> Self included. No. Um, okay, well, let's let's like um let's skip on a little bit to um to talking about the bags and your music and your more current music. But first, let's take a little musical break to listen to the bags. Okay, Alice, so um, I think, I know that I was at your first gig, but I don't remember a lot of it, except for the the paper bags on the heads. Um, Uh,
3: I don't remember a lot of it either. I mean, I just remember uh, feeling, I remember feeling kind of disoriented because I had a paper bag on my head and I was really nervous. So I was like, of course, drinking. I don't, I don't know how we got the, drinks the all the time
0: in the paper bag
3: you <laughs> know be like in the in the little side area of the mask with that double that is a as a backstage area even though there was no yeah, real yeah. backstage area but um but i remember drinking back there and then putting the bag on and i remember having a conversation with um with with bobby pin at the time right It was bobby darby. Penn, not darby yeah and uh with he your bag, like, on. yeah and he was really mad he's like you should not wear a bag like that's not right you have to like like you the other people can have a, a bag on their head but you do not you're not going to have a bag on your head and I'm like yes I am so I went on stage on the like what like five inch stage yeah. at the mask and um you know like I think like the first song we start playing the first song and it's all chaos and noise and doesn't sound at all like it sounds in days of the living room and uh, and darby comes up of course like and first thing he does is start tearing at the bag and i think it's like a piece a chunk of the bag was torn but it wasn't torn off so it was like i had a window <laughs> on the side that you look at <laughs> And then I'm like dancing around, singing, and the bag is like flopping around on my head. Um, so it was really chaotic for me, from my perspective, right? And, um, you know, and then it was just like one song after the other, I start getting sweaty. My bag is like sticking to me, the is sticking to my face and I feel like it's turning into paper mache. And, <laughs> and um, like, Darby is in the audience. You know, I don't know. I mean, we had been to so many Germs shows where we would, like, tug at his clothes. So it was, like, yeah. payback time, right? Like, that was part of the fun, watching the Germs play is, like, touching them and, like,
4: yeah, just being, like,
3: being their Throwing wild fans. Yeah. Yeah. We, they, we wanted them to feel loved, and part of them feeling loved was, like, let me take a piece of your shirt. <laughs> so I think I think it was kind of done in a loving way. But the the ripping of the bag. Uh, but all I remember is like, you know, complete chaos, like all the songs just being a blur, and uh, Darby constantly like trying to pull up my clothes and pull up my bag. And, um, and then that the audience seemed to love it. They were they just I mean, they clapped loudly at the end and demanded an encore. And we didn't know very many songs. We hadn't been together very long. So we just did whatever we had played first. We did it again <laughs> at the end. Um, and that was it. That was like, oh, God. And then I remember we, had, we got off the stage and people were still screaming and clapping. And um, they obviously they wanted another encore. But we had already played everything we knew so i got up on the stage and took the microphone and said play my body it's the musical instrument and my band never let me forget that it was such a stupid thing to say so embarrassing but yeah i just got caught up in the got caught up in the moment
0: well how long did you guys rehearse before
3: that show? Uh, I think we've been together just like maybe less than a month. That's Definitely what I was saying like a yeah. couple of weeks or
0: maybe a month. Yeah, yeah,
3: probably a couple of weeks. We had like when we teamed up with um Geza and and Nanini, we only we had like maybe three songs. And then when they joined the band, we wrote a few more songs very quickly. So, um it was Yeah, it was. We were not ready. We were not ready for prime time. But what happened is that we had like done this bags parade where we decided, like even before we played, that we were gonna. Oh, wasn't
0: that on Hollywood Boulevard?
3: Yeah. So we went down. I was
0: was there. (laughs) Oh, awesome!
3: It was kind of weird, right? That we think like, oh yeah, we're gonna you know tell people about our band and just like march down in our outfits and tell you know. Not even we didn't even have a show at that time. But
0: I mean, like compared to what? That's what <laughs> I know, right?
3: <laughs> oh my God. John Anini had like these like little, I like, he was wearing a jock strap with a little doll, like a little hairy doll sticking out. And it totally looked like a like a penis yeah. with hair growing out of the top of its head. <laughs> and and he and um so nikki beat was our photographer and he decided he engaged us since we were on hollywood boulevard they're like hey i hear there's a place that hosts shows right around here and um they they found the mask and they went down and they got us that first show like without without brendan ever having heard us and with us without us actually being ready to play but yeah
4: they That's gave us like from back yeah and they
3: gave us the headlining spot they're like you play third you're the headliner <laughs> and i'm like okay i think it was like on the strength of our bags
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh my god <laughs> on the strength of our costumes and our bags um but then like joan anini and Gaza and nikki hadn't had enough like patricia and i and i think it was uh janet coons at the time who was our guitarist we were all like crammed into one car and thinking like, okay, well, let's, you know, that's it. We did our publicity. We passed out enough flyers or we weren't even, I don't think we were even passing out flyers at that time. I keep that back, but exactly. we I felt like, enough. I felt like the, the night was over. Right. We're going to go home and take off our bags now. And, uh, and, uh, and and Deza and Nikki hadn't had enough. They're like, no, let's stop at the police station. What? They got off, they parked at the police station, and they went into the police station wearing their the bags and their <laughs> costumes. And they're like, said the cop that was on duty just said, you get out of here right now or I'm going to arrest you. <laughs> they came out, like they, they literally ran back to the car. Oh, my
0: God, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, shit, I, ne- I never knew that. What the fuck? <laughs>
3: yeah i mean yeah weird compared to what is a really good question because like Gaza x pushed it all the time
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay so okay so while we're on the train of like weird subversive transgressive lunacy um tell me about your your days as um as uh, a black randy randette or a mexican randy um backup singer. <laughs> first of all like let's explain to everyone who black randy was in case they don't know
3: okay well black randy um uh, the way i met black randy was i think oh god i don't even remember how i met him i just um, remember
0: him from the screamers house and um, that he was he was big and he had crazy eyes and you, were you, um, we um that's that- because
3: he-, he was kind of crazy he had a um uh, i mean not, not that the rest not of even, us weren't but yeah. he was like certified like i remember um talking to him he lived like in an apart like not an apartment building but like an office building yeah and he was talking about like having to apply for ssi and oh, i remember to, this life
0: but t- you, tell it, yeah.
3: you tell it well i just remember he was like how am i going to prove to this woman that i'm certified?" certifiably nuts right and he said he walked out and he saw like fresh dog shit and stuffed it in his pockets
0: yeah and, like I, yeah no and that that's
3: that- go ahead you've heard this story
0: no that was just like the oh. legendary like like he he didn't like think like his hair wasn't dyed pink or some crazy color that would look insane so like when she wasn't going to give it to him or something like he just like brought the shit out of his pocket (laughs) (laughs) like nobody could believe that and then i i also heard and i'm not sure if this is true but that 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 little um idea worked so well that then he went back there and told the same social worker that he was really afraid of fire like you know like like in a frankenstein monsters kind of way although i don't think he mentioned that but said that so he couldn't cook, so he needed to get more money so he could go out to restaurants, and they gave it to him. Oh, oh my god! <laughs> wow! I mean, yeah, like I, I'm sure if it was the same worker, they didn't want to like witness any kind of um scat action, so they just signed off on it right away.
3: <laughs> yeah. So I don't know where he. I mean, I, I he was a very creative person, and I don't know where his ideas for like being Mexican Randy or being Black Randy, where that came from. Um, I know at the time I didn't think like, oh, this is like objectionable or questionable. I think I just no, I don't think
0: anybody did. No one. Yeah, I think
3: we were all just thinking like, oh, he's like paying homage to to this music that he appreciates. Um, And I think with Mexican Randy, I actually was a guest performer. And uh, oh, okay. I sang, I sang a song that I had grown up listening to called "Popotitos," which was bony Maroni in Spanish. No, oh, I, I, sort of, I
0: remember that. Yeah, yeah. And didn't you guys all have like sombreros on your bras, or 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 maybe maybe that was, an, a that's, later. That was that's another
3: that was Elvez. Oh no, that story. was Elvez. You're
0: right. And uh, and yeah. Elvez, just in case anybody didn't know, had had previously been in the Zeros. Um.
3: Yeah, yeah. So. Um, so with with Mexican Randy, I did. Um, I um, I did a song and I also remember that that he had like a really top notch band that played really well and just like picked up stuff very quickly. So um, I don't like I don't yeah, remember. They, all were, the details they, were, of-
0: they were amazing. I mean, that 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 was not it was it was people that were actually trained and talented musicians, <laughs> as opposed to like um, a lot of the other people who grew into trained and talented musicians or untrained and very talented musicians. But they they could they could like just I think some of those people could like actually read music and shit. <laughs> yeah,
3: I mean, I think I think even though punk was like I it was very much about like not focusing on the training and the like yeah. musical experience and all that there was also room for people to be creative and and I think we also appreciate it like when somebody was good as long as they didn't have a like I'm better than you attitude like that's the one thing that like could kill nobody. a band right like somebody coming in and saying like oh, yeah watch my legs or whatever yeah um, nobody but,
0: liked that it was just like it was I think a lot of it was like the originality and yeah. um And the, and the, and the insane concepts. I mean, like the bags is a good thing or like, like the, the weirdos was a great thing with like their garbage collage outfits. And I mean, a a lot of the, the bands that had quote, quote, gimmicks were such great bands, but it was, it was also like an exercise in surrealism the whole time. And I thought of that even then, do you know what I mean? Like,
3: I think it was I I don't think it was so much a gimmick as much as a, like oh let's make this part of the expression you know like let's make the way we look part of the presentation or part of this like we're not just offering music we're offering an immersive experience
0: <laughs> exactly even though that that term wasn't the yeah but I mean it, was, yeah, it wasn't like, invented
3: right I mean it, was, it wasn't it wasn't in common usage at the time yeah it
0: was but like I think Salvador Dali like meets like crazy new kind of music kind of you know what i mean it, it was it was very amazing you know
3: but i think seeing bands like the weirdos or the screamers watch was as much um you know it it wasn't purely something that you experienced you know through hearing the music it was part of like feeling their energy watching their stage moves watching their like their look you know their looks were really. Incredible. A big part of it. Yeah. 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 Really creative.
0: Yeah. And, and just, I mean, and that, that, that's like an aspect of um, when people are listening to like old danger house records or early punk rock records, especially from LA and like, they don't, they, they never got to experience like the entire package the way we did. And I, you know, I've heard people saying, Oh, well, like, you know that was a great song but this wasn't that great but they never got to feel like that electric insane energy that was in the room that was just so transporting you know and everyone was feeling it like i think la punk scene got dissed really a lot for years and years and years because people didn't understand it and that's because people and it's the
3: best one actually i think it is really the most creative of all. And it was like, it really left a deep. And so when people go to play, to like do fashion at the Met, they're going to be like taking styles from, <laughs> from the LA scene. I can tell you, cause that was the most creative scene. I feel like, you know, there were people, people now who like think of punk, have like taken certain looks and made them like in their imagination, that's what punk looks like. But there were a bunch of like totally crazy looks that, that like people, you know, like I remember people with toys that were on with safety pins or oh, yeah. um, like
0: I had I had a I had a big like giant folding Japanese robot from Little Tokyo that I like glued and duct taped and safety pinned to a belt buckle and anytime <laughs> this is gonna sound so dumb and modern and anytime I have posted pictures of myself wearing it, like there's a, a famous picture of me and Exine in a, in the shower at the Devo party, people are always, "Where did you get that belt buckle?" And I was like, "That was a, a toy from Little Tokyo, like like a,
3: <laughs> yes." But there's like there's not. They missed the boat. They missed the I, the whole. I mean, it, it feels almost like you focus, if you focus on the do's and don't focus on the don'ts or what you think are the don'ts, you, you miss part of the creative, part of the creative process, right? You're only documenting what you see is like, oh, this was successful. This is palatable. But then you miss like the guy that had the, like, what was it like Salem pants or the robot, um, the robot belt, or like me, I had a wrestler belt that I used to wear with a bathing suit. And uh, it's like, all those things that were not like didn't make it to the mainstream, were um, were what made the LA scene so like exciting because it felt like anything you could do anything right. Like I remember Nikki taking a catheter that I think it was like something that someone would wear like who had like bladder control problems or something, yeah. and making jewelry out of it, making like I'm gonna wear this around my neck and or style it as a harness or something and. And everything could be used um, to create your look and to set yourself apart in a in, in a way that just you know rejected um, mall fashion.
0: Yeah, and I mean like like remember when I used to run around in nineteen forties nurse outfits with the hats on? Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> with like toy shot needles from a doctor's bag as earrings, and then. So that would be, and then nobody ever had the same look, now that we're talking about fashion in one night, you know? I mean, no one stuck to a look. Like I I would do like wear the nurse's outfit and then the next day look like I was like a, a girl Ramon wannabe. I mean, everybody was just switching shit up or like just doing, like you'd see a, a weird picture from a movie and like a monster magazine and then you would look like that the next night or something, yeah. Yeah,
3: I, I mean, I also like, and for those of us who lived at the Canterbury, because it was almost like you were in a, you know, sorority house or something where you just like, off, hey, let me borrow this tonight. Let me wear that. Or, you know, even if it wasn't your size, you'd find a way to wear it. And yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Or. <laughs> yeah, that that stuff was I mean, yeah, we definitely had a. it was a super creative punk scene. So, um. You know, like that—that's just stuff. Like, unfortunately, like those days, even though they were very, very documented, it wasn't like now. You know what I mean? Like, like film for a camera was expensive. The camera was expensive. Um, you know, like just all of that kind of stuff. But like, people don't—people sometimes do this to you on social media: post videos of when you played at the mask, and it's like, dude, there was no videos in those days. <laughs> right i
3: get that and i get i also get like people who are like in their 30s or you know 40s even and they're like oh yeah i was at the mask right oh yeah 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 right were you like in utero what like
0: no i know i used to get that with Disgrace land all the time people would say oh yeah i was at Disgrace land and it'd be really what did you do there? and they would always say like (laughs) um they would always say like oh well I don't really remember because I was loaded and I said well so was I but I never saw you and then <laughs> and then one day um somebody you know this was like years and years later it was it was only a few years ago I was getting my hair done at a salon and I was talking with the girl who was doing my hair who who I'd known for ages and um this other girl overheard and she's like wait you lived at disgraceland and I said yeah I mean it was it was my house and kid congo's house and Belinda's house and you know just going on and on And she said, "I went there and I just I was trying to be polite so I looked at it and I said, "Oh really, what did you do there?" And then she said, "Well, I don't exactly remember, but I do remember that there was a bunch of bands from Texas staying there and I fucked one of their fat roadies on the floor of the closet in the hallway And then I looked at it and I was like, Oh, yeah, you were definitely there. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Who were the bands?
0: Um it was Poison 13 and I think maybe the Hickoids were there. This was more like in the you know, the in 80s? the 80s, but um you know, there was there was so many bands traveling staying at the Disgra- Disgraceland ran from um from 1978 when Kid Congo and Marcy blaustein and I moved into it. It ran for 10 years. So Wow. So, yeah, there was a, a wide swath of like various types of bands and bands from all over the fucking place staying there. It wasn't. It wasn't like the Canterbury that like existed in a much shorter
4: mm-hmm.
0: band. Yeah, you know I think it I-
3: was like. I don't know. I, the longevity of the Canterbury was like maybe a year, just over a year.
0: Yeah, that that blows my mind because the whole the whole part of the early LA punk scene was about two, two and a half years, maybe. But it seemed like it seemed like then that it was going on forever. And when I think of it, there's still so many memories from it that it seemed like it lasted for a really long time. But when you really look at it, like the amount of stuff that happened in that small amount of time was just like mind blowing.
3: That's because we were like, we. it was like time stopped, right? You'd wake up and you were like, where's the party?
0: Yeah, I know. <laughs> like I remember
3: going, like getting up at the... Um, You know noon or one o'clock or whatever time we woke up at the canterbury and walking up to the um pizza by the slice place on las palmas that was like you know block away and getting like a pint of rum for breakfast and uh and a slice of pizza (laughs) like that was breakfast (laughs)
4: yeah and then
3: from then like the, the night just wore on and you know whatever was happening whether like it was prepping for a show or helping somebody get their flyers up or, you know, whatever creative thing. It just felt like it was like plate time all the time.
0: Yeah, that's why, like in in uh, in my chapter in John Doe's in the first book, Under the Big Black Sun, I just called my chapter like one when, when big, like endless crazy party or, or something approximate, approximating that, you know, because that's what it was. It was just like, Uh, It was like a little portal, kind of. Um, Let's take a little break right now, and then we will come right back with um, some final stuff to discuss. (laughs) Okay. Hi again, Alice. So, um, hi. <laughs> hey. Uh, we, almost, <laughs> we almost got lost in the punk rock rabbit hole. I mean, we could actually probably go on for it for hours and hours and hours, but we're still going to talk about that. But, um, let's talk about some stuff you've been doing more recently. Like, um, you've got two books out, and you had a record on actual vinyl come out, um, called Sister Dynamite. And yeah in 2020 yeah
3: yeah it came out during the height of the pandemic it was crazy we actually sat around thinking like is this should we release it now or wait and we decided to do it and um it's kind of crazy it's it's weird because i think it sold okay uh but i i felt like it was like a baby that i abandoned because i had like a whole tour set up and of course, I canceled every show, and um, it just felt like I never had the opportunity to to promote it, to get the word out, and like really do it justice. So I'm I'm glad that you brought it up. Um, I think it's. I'm still proud of the record. It's on in the red, and um, and I wish I would have had a chance to tour with it but I I don't think I'm going to be doing that now because I'm moving to Mexico. So
0: I know let's talk about that for a second. What, like, when did, when did that start being an idea and you're moving to Mexico city, right?
3: Moving to Mexico city. I, uh, it started being an idea actually a long time ago. We talked about like my husband and I would go to Mexico periodically. I have family there. I have an aunt and my cousins live there and over the years we've, gone many many times and every time he goes like this is a great city let's come back and live here someday and then during the pandemic um my cousin who I'm named for um passed away and I didn't get to say goodbye to her and I felt like all you know I had been planning on spending time with her in Mexico she's she's she was very very knowledgeable about all things Mexican culture and with when, whenever I was with her, I always felt like I had my personal tour guide who would teach me about um, like I couldn't pick up an item in a store without her telling me like a whole story about it. So I was really just devastated by her death, but also my cousin um, Alicia was kind of the person that was closest to my aunt uh, and my aunt is 98 years old my cousin lived a block away from her and would see her every day, and would kind of just look in on her. Um, And when my when my cousin passed away, that left a big hole in my aunts. um, I guess her her. I, I just felt like she wasn't getting that connection that she needed. And then there was like COVID happening and people couldn't visit each other. And it was just she was kind of isolated so um so i felt a big responsibility to like just spend more time with her and make myself available to um to pitch in Uh, i know my cousins are on rotation and they're taking care of her but i also want to be there for her so that's what really like set the wheels in motion that's awesome
0: that i mean i mean it's not awesome about um you know, about your, your cousin's death or anything, but I mean, I'm, I'm so glad that you're moving there and don't think I'm not going to come and visit
3: you. Come and visit me. I think it's going to be really fun. I know like, you know, my aunt is like, even though she is um, 98, she's like, really (laughs) she's funny. She's witty. She's like her mind. She has not lost anything at all. She has some mobility issues, but she is like, you know, She's as alert as she ever was, and I really enjoy spending time with her. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I love, you know, spending time with my cousins. Also, like, we played there in 2019, and I have, like, some punk friends there now uh, who, like, tell me about their shows and take me out to see, like, BMX shows. (laughs) It's, like, it's really exciting to, to feel like I'm starting a whole new chapter
0: yeah that's amazing. I mean that 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 is such a, a cool kind of reset and just such a um really amazing like family and cultural thing for you too. I mean like i I think when you told me about it on the phone, I screamed, but I just tried to <laughs> strain myself now
3: Great um, because you're thinking like I'm gonna go there, I'm gonna go hang out with Alice.
0: Oh hell yeah, yeah! No, 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 because no. it was also just because it was such a great thing to do, and that that's like, I mean, I've I've been in lots of different countries um, for like dance touring and stuff, and but the only other country that I've actually lived in, first, well, I, I lived in Egypt, but you know, just as a visitor for like eight weeks was probably the longest. But like after that, the only other place that i've gone to as much or and lived in for like three or four months was was the uk it was in england you know but i always just want to like go and like move to a you know like um you know and and an island off the mediterranean coast or, or you know what i mean or like just some and just be yeah, a crazy yeah, ass you want to keep, keep learning new
3: things right we got to yeah. keep like it's exploring and keeping our life exciting our lives exciting and um travel is a great way to like to see to see things with fresh eyes um i i got to go to egypt like uh for my 60th birthday my husband took me out it was like a dream come true uh, i'm so like thankful that i got to finally, you know, go to the pyramid, see the Nile, like just (laughs) yeah, I want to hear all about, I just, I I just, I want to know about you being there eight weeks. That sounds
4: amazing.
0: Oh, well that was the first, that was the first time I went because some of the people who are listening may not know that I've been a professional belly dancer since um, 1990 and nobody can figure out the, (laughs) the, 360 degree spin I did from rock and roll into belly dancing, but it makes sense to me. Um, so I, I wound up through a string of synchronicities, including someone giving me a plane ticket to Greece. Um, you know, wow. if I would travel with her girlfriend to, uh, you know, she didn't want her girlfriend to, um, you know, start having like summer sex with a bunch of different people in, in, in Greece. But so then I, I said, do you have any interest in changing it to to, um, you know, into adding on like Egypt or Cairo. And she said, sure. So anyway, we we went, um, she went home a lot sooner than I did because she thought it it wasn't gonna be the way that it really was, but I, I just stayed there. And it was, you know, I've gone back there a whole bunch of times, including I was there during the Arab Spring. Um, wow. Yeah. How exciting. That was, yeah, that was exciting, but also it was kind of a little bit scary at times, you know what I mean? Like, yeah have to keep your hair covered the whole time driving through a mob of like Muslim Brotherhood people. Scary. Um, (laughs) Anyhow, um, yeah, so that was just Egypt is life changing. But I do remember one of my first impressions in the Valley of the Kings was like I was looking at, um, I was inside some tomb and it had the goddess um, Nut, who's like the goddess of the sky, all Painted in blue and gold and stuff on the roof of the tomb, which you have to walk down into to get to, and and the first thought in my head was, wow, they did such a good job on this. And all of a, and of course I was really jet lagged, but I was like, I meant it like as though it was a Disney reproduction. I mean, in my head I was thinking that, and I was like, no, they did like a good job on this, like three to five thousand years ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah,
3: crazy. Yeah. Like the the way. Things I mean just walking into a pyramid and seeing like wondering at the construction, like how the hell did they do this? How did they figure this out?
0: Um, well, if, if you ask anybody that lives in Egypt, they will look at you like you're completely dense, you know, and because most people think it's slaves and anybody from Egypt is like, no, it was it was a giant, giant build pyramid. Uh. You know, everybody. Do you know what I mean? Just like also like on the on the front page of like one of the papers one time when I was there. This is the front page, right? Like here in here in, in America, we're just getting news about alien disclosure, right? Or whatever. Uh, but on the front page of one of the papers, it was saying, like, residents of Giza are 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 alarmed at the amount of ghosts around the pyramids. That was like the front. <laughs> wow yeah, that's
3: a cool different, different yeah home. it is i i mean i i am um i have to confess that i watch a lot of ancient aliens so i'm familiar with the ancient alien theories of like how how uh things like the pyramids were built and oh, what yeah. their purposes are and, but um but no, I it's, it's just, true.
0: I, I mean, if, if, it, if you know, like looking at all that stuff and seeing it and then also just looking at like the, you know, all the hieroglyphics, even if you can't read them, I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, you know, I'm going to use the cultural term. It's just fucking batshit. Like there's obviously, <laughs> there's obviously like some kind of <laughs> connection to, to like a different species or race that was not human, you know?
3: Yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure that I agree with all of that, but I definitely like hearing the stories, and I like exploring. Like, I like being open to the possibility that you know that that could be. And it's like it's the same way I feel about like ghosts. I love listening to ghost stories. I like watching like ghost exploration. I remember watching you do your ghost explorations and thinking like. Uh, that's what a cool, what a cool thing to do just to go out with your like EMF detector and seeing like <laughs> talking to or, or you know, just trying to connect with something that is in another dimension. Um, and I, I don't know what's out there, but I think the not knowing is what makes it fun and exciting and like. I like accepting. Um, Ignorance because I think accepting ignorance is a really good thing and keeps you open to possibilities.
0: Yeah, I mean totally I, I agree with that. I, I will I'll tell you um one of my most uh craziest recent like seance um Ouija board sessions and you will just laugh. I'm not gonna describe the whole thing because everyone that's listening to this podcast probably knows who I'm about to talk about, but for some fucking reason, me and a couple of friends got the idea. <laughs> I think it was his birthday to contact hazel adkins on the ouija board <laughs> you know the the guy that that um wrote and performed the um the song she said that the cramps covered okay okay you know that like, whoa uh, uh, he was he was like you know he was like some insane lunatic from like west virginia that, who's whole body of work was you know like the cramps took a lot of influence from it and it was just you know it would have been called psychobilly, but it was mm-hmm. started happening a long time ago anyway we were t- we were trying to contact Hazel adkins and then we started playing some of his songs to try to attract them into the room where we were doing yeah. the spirit communication and i remember that the, the planchette on the ouija board kept like it would just go back and forth back and forth back and forth on two letters and I was like, okay, we're ending this session. And we took a little break and I was like, let's start it up again. And then um, my friend was like, yeah, let's let, no, let's see if I'll spell out stuff. And then I just had a pause. And this is a question only a paranormal punk rock investigator would say, I was like, do we think Hazel Adkins is actually literate? Like,
3: (laughs) 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 That is one of those questions too, right? Like how, you know, when people communicate with people that speak different languages, do they communicate in your language? Yeah. I guess they just. It's just like they communicate conceptually, right?
0: Yes, yeah, I mean, I've only I mean, the, there's only one time when that happened on a Ouija board um, with me, it was uh, like the planchette kept going XA, XA, you know what I mean? And it would say that every so often and of course, because of punk rock, all I could think of was the band UXA. But um, then, oh, I was thinking you were going to X eight, uh, yeah, or X eight oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but no, it's X and the letter A, and so that kept kept going on. And then, um, my friend who was doing the session with me looked it up online, and it was uh, it was, uh, it, was uh, it was like Russian internet slang for ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> because maybe i don't know i don't know that's if the right. x is an actual number like letter in the Cyrillic alphabet or if that was just a code they you know what i mean i, don't, I didn't go that far but yeah that was wild anyway we should probably go i don't want to i don't want to go and leave you
3: <laughs> oh no I'm, I'm gonna go make myself some
0: food that's yeah i think that's <laughs> what i'm gonna do too because we old ladies <laughs> you gotta eat on time yeah um okay you guys that was my amazing lifelong friend alice Bag. alice i love you so much
3: i love you too pleasant and i want your secret for staying so beautiful and so active so like i love that you're dancing that like you didn't let quarantine get you down and you were willing to do like you know uh, a dance on your on your front in your front yard on your porch, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That is so awesome. I'm I'm just proud to be your friend.
0: Oh my god, likewise, me too with you for years. For for many, many years. We love you long time. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that was Alice i am pleasant i will see you next time and go and look in the episode description of this podcast for all of alice's insane amazing credits go buy her books buy her records stalk her on social media and i come visit you in mexico city baby yeah (laughs) okay bye everyone
3: bye
1: The Devil's Music is written and hosted by Pleasant Gaiman. Produced by Aaron Alden. All sound design by Jerry Danielson of Busy Signal Studios. And of course, is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Find all of our shows at pantheonpodcasts.com. Our social presence is at Pantheon Podcasts on Facebook and Facebook and instagram tweet us at pantheon pods all songs can be found wherever you get great music please pick up these important and fantastic tracks it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football